I want to echo uh, my thanks and my prayers to those of you that were standing as well for the sacrifice that, that you've made and those that you love have made as well. Uh, I'm glad that you all are here today. Very glad you're here. It's been a hard week. In fact, it's been, of our um, reason my 20-some years in the Bay Area, it's been the hardest week we've had yet. And it's, of course, because of the Santa Fe tragedy. And we've had other tragedies in those 20-some years. I, I was found myself thinking back to the um, Columbia space shuttle tragedy back 15 years ago. And uh, the heartbreak that came from that, it was, it was NASA's own, it was our own in the seven that lost their lives in that. I found myself thinking back to Harvey this past year and the devastation of that. And in fact, a number of you in this room are not even back in your homes yet, nine months later. But I was on the Santa Fe High School campus earlier this week and spent some time there. Uh, time at the memorial, time taking once again, taking in the faces of those who, who have now left and uh, taking in the, the setting and the environment. And this one feels different, doesn't it? There's something different about this. The pain, the heartache uh, is more than I think we've experienced in anything in the 20-some years we've been in the Bay Area. I, I think that all of us will remember this event to our dying breath and I know we'll all have our own memories in one level that we will recall. But I think most of us will actually recall where we were, what we were doing when we found out about the unfolding tragedy. I think to our dying breath, I will remember where I was and, and what I was doing at that time. I think that we will remember the feelings we felt. I think we'll remember the, the fear, the grief, the anger, the despair, the sense of loss. I think that will always stay with us, even when the wounds heal, for some it will take a long time, even when the wounds heal, the scars are there, we will remember that. But I found myself wondering if we might remember even more than that. I, I say that because uh, this tragedy has just happened in the school year, and summer's about to unfold, and I found myself reflecting on how, how God tends to work most deeply, most powerfully to change us in our tragedies, in our losses, in our heartache. He tends to do that. The Apostle Paul, um, it seems to me that he may have followed Jesus with more abandon and more faith than anyone that I've ever heard of, ever known of. And the Apostle Paul would write, speaking about this very thing in his life, about the, the heartache, the tragedy, the loss in his life that brought about great change, that God used to bring great change. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 is one of those places. He says, writing to the people at Corinth, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. You know, when I think about Paul, and I think about how he'd already lived his life up to the time he's referring to here, I thought the guy um, had fully depended upon God the whole run, the whole run of it. I mean, when I read about his actions in the book of Acts, I read the letters he wrote before this one, I think this guy, he was fully dependent. He's saying, I wasn't. He was saying, I was partially dependent upon God, and it was this tragic time, it was this time where we thought we were going to lose our lives that I learned how to and began to depend completely on God. It was out of this difficult time that God grew me. When you and I think about the icon of the Christian faith, we all think of the cross, don't we? There was a Friday that humankind did its worst of all time. 
It was, it was the most horrific execution of all time on Friday. It was the lowest of all lows. But we know on Sunday, God brought about this resurrection. God brought about this opportunity for anyone to have sins forgiven, relationship with him, heaven, all of that. Isn't that the essence of Christianity? Out of the worst times is when God does his greatest work in us. Out of the worst times. I know I've thought back about reason my life and and that's been true for us there was a there's a miscarriage a long time ago the some of you will understand the pain is beyond what i could un- explain to you it was out of the miscarriage that marie and i began to ask the questions if there really is a god if there is we were asking who is he and it was out of the miscarriage that god used as one vehicle to bring us to faith in jesus out of one of the worst times it led to faith in jesus I think back to this long, extended, debilitating illness Marie had long ago that lasted a couple years. And and one thing that came out of that debilitating illness was, was we recognized that we're not guaranteed 80 years on this planet. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And we had this sense that we should respond to God now in the moment. We had this sense of when when he says jump, we should just jump in the moment. We shouldn't weigh the odds. We shouldn't weigh the projection. We shouldn't think about it. It may be more convenient in a year or five or 50. We just thought there's no promise that tomorrow we should just follow with abandon today. It came out of this, this two years of difficult, difficult time. I think about the suicide of a parent and the heartache of that. And now looking back through the lens of many years, I, I see that like a cold-hearted engineer can deeply feel and empathize with those who suffer loss. I I can go back to the pain that I have felt, whatever one's loss is, and and I can feel where someone may be in that. It came from that. I think about the time that was was near the end of seminary. It's a second career, uh, raising young family. We're near the end of seminary. We're also near the end of our money, and every single door closed to a job. But out of that, we learned to deeply depend upon God for resources. This, the harbor would never have even launched if it weren't for learning we could depend upon God for resources. When you think about the painful times in your life, is that true? You think back to the most difficult times of your life, can you realize looking back that God worked deeply in you, that God changed you in those times? Marie and I were sitting with uh, some good friends earlier this week, and they They've been through two or three years of very difficult times, and it looks like maybe they're near the end of it. At least that's what we hope and they hope. We hope it's not a, a, you know, a good spot before it all craters again, but it looks like they're near the end, and we're, we're listening, we're feeling, we're hearing where, there are, where they are on this. And then Marie asked the most profound question of the conversation. Where do you see God in it? You've been in it for a couple of years. It's not over yet. Only God knows. But where do you see God in it? Not implying that we always know in the midst of. Sometimes it's not till afterwards. Sometimes years afterwards, we look back and see, this is what God did in that time. But she raised the question. She raised the, the truth is that in our most difficult times, that's when God tends to do his deepest work, deepest transformation within us. And so I have found myself this week convinced that none of us will forget this tragedy. It will always be burned into our minds, but, but convinced as well that there may be another memory that comes from this time. The, the tragedy, it happened near the end of a school year. This is Memorial Day weekend. Summer's about to begin. 
And could it just be possible that God wants to deeply change and transform everyone in this room now, this summer, out of this tragedy? And if so, you and I would look back upon this season and say, yes, there was a horrific tragedy in the school year. But there was a summer to remember because God changed me in that summer. So, and I, I believe that's true. I believe that's true. So I want to give you two words on growth and transformation. I'll explain what they are to you. The two words are grace and gateway. I want to give you just two words about growth and transformation. I found myself, when I was out of town, I came back and listened to the message that Tim Geralds gave last Sunday. And instantly I thought, while Tim had prepared the message long before the tragedy, God had prepared him to give the exact message we needed at that time. And and many of you have told me that as well. And I felt the same thing about this message today. It's had its title. It has content for months now. And in fact, the summer plans have had their content for months now. And I think God prepared us for such a time as this. So the first word I want to touch on, where I think God would have us grow now, is is the word grace. Many of us in this room, we could give definitions of grace. A number of you would say something like, it's this unearned gift, and you'd be exactly right. It's this unearned gift. I love Lee Strobel's definition. He expounds expounds upon that. He says it's an unmerited and unconditional gift of God's love that we can never earn or deserve. It's this unmerited. In other words, you can't get good enough to get this, to earn it. It's unmerited. It's unconditional. It's not based upon conditions. It's this gift of God's love. We can never earn it, never deserve it. Did you realize that the grand narrative of the Bible is a narrative of grace? The entire narrative of the Bible is a narrative of grace. You can look through the Old Testament. Somewhat interesting, you will, only in a few limited places will you even see the term grace. But if you read the Old Testament, from the opening pages of Adam and Eve, you can see a story of God extending grace to Adam and Eve. And the stories like that continue on till Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. At that point in time, the people of Israel had fallen so far from God. You and I would have given up on them, and yet the final pages of the Old Testament, God's extending grace to them once again. And then you get to the New Testament, and the term grace is used 122 times. The Bible is the narrative of grace. There's a place in, in Acts 20, 24, where, where Paul would use the term. He would say, he would talk about the gospel of grace. If you've been around church for a long time, you, you know that gospel means good news. We talk about the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, and, and all that's appropriate. But Paul sums it up and says, at bottom line, it's a gospel of grace. It's a, it's a gospel, this unknown gift that God gives us of his love. And that's the summary of what the gospel is. You, you and I... We may have known the definition coming in. You may have heard it now. You got it in your mind. But I'm confident not a single one of us here begins to comprehend the the width and the depth of God's application of grace. Not a single one of us here has been penetrated and transformed to the core of our being about the fullness of God's grace. I'll give you a couple of examples on this. Paul wrote 13 books to the New Testament, 13 letters. Every single one in the opening uh, sentences, he, he hopes and prays that God will give them grace and peace. All 13 of them, same thing. He prays that God will give them grace and peace. And in that, there's this, there's this message he's saying, if you get grace, if it grips you, if you understand it, if you believe it's for you, peace will follow. 
peace will follow. So let me give you three simple examples. It's the tip of the iceberg of grace and peace. One is this, and this is the things I'll tell you are things, they're expressions of grace that God pours out on those who have placed their faith in Jesus. Those who have surrendered leadership to Jesus, this, these are places that God pours out his grace. The first is, this, is forgiveness. This is complete and irrevocable. Forgiveness is complete and irrevocable. Marie, my wife's story is that when she began to follow Jesus, she didn't have a hard time believing that God could completely forgive everyone else. Total forgiveness, every sin, and that it was irrevocable. In other words, it couldn't be revoked, it couldn't be taken back. She could fully believe that easily. Even someone who the outsider would look in and say, man, that's a bad person, she had no trouble with them. But for years, she would find herself thinking, yeah, Jesus died for me, he rose from the dead, he's forgiven my sins, but I, I gotta be better. I still have to do more. There was this, there was this um, almost this... Um, emerging emotion that kept saying to her it's not his dying isn't enough unless you try harder unless you do better it's not going to apply to you it was out of that that long extended illness when she could do nothing she she couldn't take care of her children she do nothing but breathe that god taught her my forgiveness is complete and irrevocable it's not conditioned upon anything you don't have to do anything that she began to believe that. Now, for years, she's been meeting with uh, women and couples. And I asked her recently, what's the most common struggle you find? And she said, this is it. The most common struggle is that there'll be a woman or there'll be a couple or there'll be a man in the couple, and they'll say, yeah, I understand. I, Jesus died. I understand he died for everyone. He died for me, but, but I still i am not doing good enough. It, it doesn't really apply to me unless I, I can just do a little bit better. It's, it's the lie. It's the lie. It's this common lie. And, and if we understand grace, it's this unmerited, unconditional gift of God's love for us. If we understand that, peace will follow. There won't be that, that disturbing idea that his grace isn't enough. And peace will follow in that. Chuck Smith, pastor, author, would say, grace changes grit your teeth duty into loving, enthusiastic service. It changes grit your teeth duty into loving, enthusiastic service. It's not I should, I need to, I have to. It, grace doesn't apply to me unless I do. It's, it's because grace applies to me. What else would I do? Completely flips it. Grace and peace from forgiveness. I give you another one. An expression of God's grace for us is, is he gives us his promises, the promises of God. And all of them are true if you've trusted in Christ. Every single one of his promises are true, but... but how many of us have even learned what those promises are? Let alone do we really believe they apply to us? How many of us have, have even taken the time to learn what they are, let alone really believe all of them apply to us? The first few years that, uh, of the harbor, uh, I was the founding pastor. First few years of the harbor, after almost every Sunday morning, I would go home and, and after teaching, and I would think, I'm inadequate for this job. This church needs another pastor. See, I would have heard Rick Warren in Orange County, California teach, and I'd go home and think, if he taught on this, he would, have, he would have nailed it. I didn't nail it that way. I would have heard Ed Young Sr. from Second Baptist Houston, and I would think about his teaching. I think if he would have taught this, man, there would have been such life change because he can teach. 
I would, I would have heard Lee Strobel from Chicago and thought, he would have blown the roof off. I'm not adequate for this. For the first few years, almost every single Sunday I went home with no peace of mind at all, thinking there's, there's got to be someone else that needs to do this. I was reading 2 Corinthians once that Paul being the author of, and, and Paul's talking about having this thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, if it was physical or if it was spiritual, if it was relational, whatever it was. But in essence, he was saying, God, I've got this thorn in the flesh, and it, and it's, it is, is keeping me from being sufficient to the task at hand. I, I don't have what it takes. It's holding me back. I, I, need, I need my full resources. This is limiting me, God. I don't have what it takes to do this job. And Paul writes, and he says in chapter 12, he says, three times I asked God to take this away so I could have what it takes to do this job. And he would write in chapter 12, verse 9, he said, each time, this is what God said to me. He said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He said, Paul, I know with this thorn that you have, you're not enough. You can't pull it off, but guess what? My grace fills in every gap. Like my grace is enough. I read that on that given day, and for some reason I heard it that day, and I realized that my ability to speak will never be enough. But God picked me with the amount of ability he gave me, and he said, it will never be enough, but my grace will fill all the gaps on that. Grace and peace. You know what began to happen? Since that week, virtually every Sunday that I've taught, I'll go home, and I'll spend some time with God, and I'll ask one question. How do you feel about what I did? And almost every time he said, great, well done. Almost every time. few times he doesn't, you know what he says? <laughs> Rick, you know you should have worked a little harder on that one. <laughs> you didn't give me your best, you know. All I want is your best. That's all I want. But the other times when I've given my best and he affirms that, there's been this peace. Why? Because I, I've understood grace about that. Is there a role that you're in that you feel insufficient in? Maybe you feel insufficient as a parent, as a student, as an employee, as a friend, God would say, you're never going to be enough for that on your own. You will never have this sufficiency, but my grace is sufficient. Will you lean into me? Will you give your best? Give your best. It's not enough. Will you lean into me and trust that my grace is sufficient? When you believe that, then you have grace and peace. I'll give you one more about grace and peace. One of the gifts of God, which is, again, grace is gifts we don't deserve, is the gift of the Holy Spirit living in us who've trusted Christ. Scripture says that when we trust Christ, the Holy Spirit of God begins to live in us, which is stunning. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Holy Spirit has all power and all wisdom and unlimited, and, and he lives within us. And sometimes I remember that. Sometimes I don't. But I remembered it this week. Marie has, she has a, there's another illness that she contracted um, 20 years ago maybe. And she's had some medication that's worked well for her, uh, but much less so in recent times. Her body's come to the point she doesn't respond to the medication. It's not life-threatening, but it certainly would, um, would change quality of life. There are few options of medication. There are few specialists, but she found a specialist. So this week we went to that specialist. I, I um, found myself praying three or four times while we were in the room with the doctor. My prayer was, Holy Spirit, Tell the doctor what Marie needs. You know, you're capable of this. You live within me. You hear what I'm asking? My ask is just please tell her what Marie needs. 
And so the, the appointment unfolds, and, and this lady does the, the medical exam part of it like clockwork. And it's just like bam, 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 bam. And I thought, how does she remember all that? And then it dawned on me, she's done this thousands of times. And Marie's not the first patient. She's seen thousands of patients. And, and there, you know, you'd think there'd be some peace to that. I thought, she's, she's got this down and not even a pause. And then she begins to explain what she's seen. She asks questions about Marie and then talks about the condition. We have some questions. And every single moment, she didn't even have to pause and think. She knew all the answers. Hey, she had been down this path thousands of times. She stands up to end the appointment, and we stand up with her, and I just whisper a prayer one more time. Please just, Holy Spirit, tell her what Marie needs to know. She makes concluding comments. She leaves the room. We're picking up our things to go, and suddenly she appears at the door and walks back in. And she says, let's, let's do something different. And then right in front of us, she paused and closed her eyes and just stood there thinking. It was, it was a complete opposite of everything before. She had all the answers. She never had to pause. Now she's just standing there, eyes closed. And I realized the Holy Spirit was guiding her thoughts in that moment. She didn't know what to do. But, but there were these thoughts that were unfolding in her mind. And, and then finally she opened her eyes and said, let's do, let's do this and let's do this. Let's do this. Do you see when we understand and are penetrated by the grace of God, the free gifts of God, and one of those is that we understand the Holy Spirit lives within us, do you see that that peace will follow quickly on the heels? I went into that appointment not knowing the doctor, but knowing the Holy Spirit with peace. Absolute peace. I have no idea if this regimen will work or not, but I have this peace. When we are gripped and deeply changed by grace, peace follows. But not just peace. There are places in Scripture where it talks about grace and mercy. And so if we get the grace in that area, then we also absorb the mercy and we pour out mercy. There are places Scripture talks about grace and power. In those times when we understand grace, not only do we experience power, we can pour that out too. There's this, there's this whole picture of grace that I think God wants to unfold in us now where we, where we get it at a level we never had before. So, again, it's been planned for months. Uh, Robert talked about the next four weeks, the four weeks of June, we'll do this series called The, F- the Case for Grace. We'll spend four weeks with God saying, as a church and individually, change me, God. Help me understand it. Help me get it. Help me be deeply transformed by grace. Lee Strobel, be here. You know about him. Uh, you'll fill the place out, and it'll be great. Ricky Bolden, if you've been here, you know about him. You'll fill the place. It'll be, he'll blow the roof off. But if you miss the two middle weeks, I think you might miss the biggest life change of all. Second week, Dana's going to talk about the grace, the free grace, the free gift God pours out on someone's life before they ever trust Jesus. If you trust Jesus, you're going to be listening to that and thinking and God's going to be reminding you of how he loved you before you ever turned to him. You'll be blown away by his love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you're going to hear him that day and God's going to be prompting you memories of times that you can see God loved you. He poured out grace on you before you ever even considered Jesus. And then the week that follows is Father's Day. Weston Savelle is going to teach that. 
It's going to be all about what, what it looks like and how crucial it is for a father to learn to grow in grace and, and for children to learn to grow in grace as well and give that grace back. And he's going to be talking about, in essence, in our most intimate, most important relationships, how do we live this grace out? It's going to be one of those key weeks that you may, you may get the, the capstone of the entire message, the entire series out of that. So we'll do this for four weeks. In fact, uh, Lee Strobel's written a book called The Case for Grace. We'll have, we have copies in the lobby. I would urge you, buy one this week, begin to read about it. But four weeks, saying to God, God, teach us about grace. Change us around grace. In this time of heartache, our hearts are wide open to you. Teach whatever you want. Teach us about this beautiful, powerful thing called grace. I think there's a second thing he wants to teach us as a church. I gave you the, the term gateway. A gateway is simply the entry point to something much larger. Marie and I were at Yellowstone National Park last week when we were gone, and we entered the, the southern gateway to the park, and the gateway is not impressive. <laughs> There's not much to see there. It's just a gateway, but it opened up this stunning creation beyond it. A gateway is a, an opening to something much larger. The very best authors, the very best writers utilize the opening words, the opening pages of the book to be the gateway to what follows. It's a gateway that if someone misses, someone will never fully comprehend the book. They never will quite get it if they've missed the gateway. And so you have someone like Charles Dickens. He writes A Tale of Two Cities, and he begins with, it, is, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. And he goes on in that vein, and if you read it, you get it, you know, to be looking He's saying there's this season going on where there there are these profound opposites in play. But if you don't read the opening pages, you don't get the opening pages, you miss all that, and and you're you're bounced back and forth like a ping-pong ball. The opening words, opening pages of a book are the best author. It's, It's the gateway. And, of course, God is the best author. He's written one book. Genesis chapters 1 through 3, they're the gateway. July, we're going to spend four weeks in July looking at this gateway. We're going to find there are these three, there's four key themes in that gateway. We're going to learn how to recognize those themes. We're going to learn how to take those four themes and any other scripture that we look at and, and hold those four themes up, those four lenses, and, and pick which one or which ones apply to that passage, and we'll more deeply understand it because we have, we've gone through the gateway. We've got these lenses now which to, to look at the bigger picture. I think that's something God wants to bring with us. You know why? Because I think out of a season of grief and suffering and pain, we're saying, God, teach me. I, I can't navigate this on my own. Teach me. I think he's a key area he's going to teach us, and from then on, the Bible open as never before, before us. So the series is called In the Beginning. It runs July 8th through July 29th. Um, nine days thus far of unspeakable suffering. We, we will never forget this time. We'll never forget the lives of those lost. We'll never forget the, the ones who have suffered most because of their loss. We'll never forget it. But out of suffering and hardship, God most often brings his greatest change within us. All it takes is us to be wide open to him. The tragedy happened in the school year. Summer's about to begin. Will this be a summer to remember for you? I found myself thinking back over our summers. Honestly, there are not many of them I remember. They were good, but honestly, most of them, I couldn't tell you anything about them. 
Maybe there was one where there was a special vacation or everything, but you know what I found myself thinking? This is the summer that you and I could look back on and remember it. Why? Because this is the summer we got grace. This is the summer we understood the gateway to all that followed in Scripture. This is to be a summer to remember. All I would ask, really all God would ask, is that you fully engage. And he'll bring the change about if you fully engage. Father in heaven, Father, I'm so grateful that you are a God who takes the worst and out of that brings the best. So thankful you're a God that would take a horrific Friday and bring the best of Sundays. So thankful you're a God that would take the heartache that we are still in here in the Bay Area. And you would use this time as we open our lives and ourselves to you and say, God, touch me, change me, mold me. And you'll do that. And Father, I deeply believe everyone in this room and everyone who will listen to this on video or audio who will open their hearts and minds to you and say, Father, would you change me in the area of grace? Would you change me in the area and this wisdom of this gateway? I'm convinced, Father, you'll do it. And indeed, it will be a summer to remember because you changed us in this summer. So, Father, I pray this with great hope and great expectation. In Jesus' name, amen.